Hello and welcome to Caribou. You're right. The international break is finally over and the Premier League is back as Nottingham Forest welcome Burnley to City Ground on Monday night. With seven new signings in place, we're going to be discussing which of them will come into Steve Cooper's team. We'll also talk wider team selection and formations as the Reds look to build on the win against Chelsea. Uh, just me and Temps today. Temps, how are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Just back from holiday. I think I was one of 20,000 disorganised tourists who expected to see um, Leo Messi play for into Miami on the one weekend when he wasn't available. So, yeah, had a lovely time, mate. But uh, good to be back in Talking Forest. Yes, absolutely. I've just <laughs> just had one of those alerts that says Chrome will relaunch in 40 minutes. So we're going to be done in 39 minutes, I think. At this <laughs> we'll make sure we're done and uh, we don't have to disappear as this ends. And we're doing this a little bit early in the week because of diaries and everything. Normally like to get the injury news from the manager, but let's be honest, it's not entirely relevant with what, what he says and how the team materialises on the Saturday afternoon or the Monday night in, in this instance. Um, how are you feeling about the game in general, a lot of expectation that Forest are going to win. Do you see it as a home banker or not? There is high expectation. I mean, the the challenges that Steve Cooper has in front of him in terms of, of team selection make our job in guessing a bit of a fool's errand, I suppose. If there's ever a hope of Steve Cooper listening to us yawning on, it's probably today because he'll be um, tossing 25 names around in his head um, trying to trying to see which 11 fall on the page. So in terms of winning the game, yes, confident. I think the feel-good factor off the back of the Chelsea win um, will have boosted the players, the management, the, the support base. And I'm not sure we saw too much from uh, Burnley in the Cup game to suggest they're going to be a match for our, our best 11. The challenge being how quickly can we settle into that? Can we find... Uh, rhythm and poise and, and make the key moments in the game count for us. post Brennan Johnson here as well, um, which which undoubtedly will change the way that we play uh, and the balance of play in terms of the, the focus down the right-hand side that there's been over the last um, season and a half. So, um, yeah, just so many moving parts, pieces up in the air that we have to be considered short price favourites for this game. Do you see any relevance at all to that Carabao Cup game to this one? No, so much water under the bridge between yeah. now and then. I think very, very different personnel will, will be uh, on display here. Burnley had their own injury problems in that game, as we as we saw with the amount of enforced changes that they had to make. Um, they'll be boosted by it, though. I think whilst we're trying to detach too much relevance from that fixture, They'll attach a lot to it. They'll talk about the way that they um, dominated possession on the road. They'll talk about the uh, manner in which they're able to, to get in our faces and to frustrate a team who had a remarkable um, spell of form at the city ground before that fixture. So, so yeah, that, that game was a favour for Burnley and is one they'll take heart from. But I think um, it'll be an all-too-different proposition when they, they face us in the league. I think my one worry about Burnley is that they got so battered by Tottenham and they're playing, they're, I've said this before, they remind me a lot of the way we came up last season when we played Spurs at home with no one up front and we're passing it around for fun and creating chances, but also we were too vulnerable and we saw how we kind of cascaded and fell apart. Are you a little bit worried that Bernie might learn a lesson and come here and shut up shop and we'll struggle to break them down? I don't think so yet. I mean, look, they they breezed through the championship 
um, in a far more convincing manner than we did, right? There was a turning point when Steve Cooper came in and he got us going, but we got into the playoffs and you know, it's not through a pretty tight semi-final tie and the you know we all saw what happened in the final. Their promotion campaign was altogether different. They had it their own way throughout most of the season. In which they dominated the ball, ground teams down, passed them to to death. So I think it would be a bit of a, a leap for a footballing man like Vincent Company to step away from that. So hopefully that's to to our advantage. Hopefully um, they do still fancy themselves as being free flowing and um, yeah, a bit fanciful in the manner in which they go about the games, and, and we can um, use a bit more guile use that pace that we have in getting from defence to attack in uh, breakneck speed and also just that little bit more resilience that goes with having had three transfer windows now uh, at Premier League level, a complete change of the profile of the, the squad and a bit more top level now. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, repeating myself uh, a little bit and convincing myself, I suppose, that we're a different proposition now to before the transfer window. But uh, I, I just don't see any any way in which injecting this number of players of this quality cannot improve the prospects of the team. Yeah, I do go into the game confident, but I'm not expecting anything other than a very close game again. I know people had this expectation we'd batter Sheffield United, and I didn't think we we would. I thought we'd win that game. And I think we'll win this one, but I think it's going to be uh, another close one because these new signings aren't all going to come in and we are still a very much a work in progress and we are a team in the second season in the Premier League which brings me on to um, one other point I want to raise before that I should do my usual um, like and subscribe appeal it all certainly helps we have so many more viewers and we have subscribers for these videos so uh, if you are watching on YouTube do subscribe do like the stream and if you're on iTunes do subscribe as well to make sure you don't miss an episode you'll get an alert I think uh, so do do that. And the other point I want to follow on from this kind of weight of expectation was something we've discussed about the atmosphere and the ground and the importance of it. And we can't order fans to make a noise. That would be pointless. But just the importance of not letting those standards slip in terms of being the best fan base in the country. So I'm going to play this short clip from the Steve Cook interview, which I'll plug again at the end, talking about the impact of fans. And then we'll pick it up on the other side. They have to keep it going this year then. There can't be a sense. I know you don't play for QPR now, but there can't be a sense of expectancy that we're going to win every home game. The fans still have a big part to play. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think um, the first few years as a, as a Premier League team, you, you're never safe. Um, the expectation levels, yeah, obviously they, they will rise, but um, the atmosphere has to stay the same and if not better for, for the team to kind of grow as well. So um, home form... In football is massive. Uh, if you kind of get them teams that are not looking forward to play there or looking forward to having the atmosphere themselves is mm. compliment to them. And, you know, it, it really obviously it kept the club in, in the Premier League. And hopefully now it can spur on the, the, the team on the pitch to kind of improve uh, league positions. Any concerns for you? It's going to be a bit flat or because it's a Monday night game under the lights, it's still going to be lively? No, it won't be flat. It'll be lively. And this this is a, a game of great expectation, isn't it? We're going in as, as home favourites, which has been a rare thing over the last two years. As we said at the start of the season, there was one job in August, beat Sheffield United. There's one job in September, beat Burnley. We've got ourselves into an excellent position for an unexpected but thoroughly deserved uh, win over Chelsea. And 
yeah, there's no one's on the manager's back. We're in the top half of the Premier League table and we have a, a chance to consolidate with a, a, a home game against a promoted side who've lost all three of their fixtures so far. So I agree with, with your point and Steve Cook's point. Um, home atmosphere is a key factor in Forest having done as well as they have over the last 18 months. It has to continue. It will continue and it can be a factor on Monday night. Almost smashed a cup then while you were talking. Sorry. Bang one cup into the other. So uh, very unprofessional. Also shows I should take my cups downstairs when I've finished using them. Right. Uh, let's get into the crux of what we always talk about on these things around uh, formations and lineups. And we'll take names from them. We've done one each as ever for a bit of a, a contrast. So I'll put yours up, Temps, and read it out for listeners. As ever, is this the team you want or the team you think? It's a team I think because I, th- I think I'm, I'm pretty out there on wanting a back four to enable us to accommodate more of these attacking players that we have at our disposal now. While Brennan was there and was an automatic pick as a you know an inside right for one of a better better phrase, it was very very difficult for us to accommodate um, three central midfielders. So I've, I've found a way to to do that. Um, with Gibbs White in more of a floating ten position than having to hold the wing and balance the side in the in the presence of Brennan. So I think ultimately I'd still like us to get towards the back four, but I've, I've found a way um, that I, I think Cooper may go with um, to maintain the the back five, if you like, but to, to find a way to get three centre mids on the block. OK, so let's put your team up and I'll, I'll read it out and then we'll get into it a bit more. So predicted team, uh, Turner in goal retaining his place. Uh, Turner did come back early for international duty for his wife to give birth, uh, but I can't see him missing the match or rendering himself unavailable. So, turning goal, a back three of Warrell, Bolly, and Niakate coming back in for McKenna. Aurier uh, and Tavares as wing backs. Yates, Sangare, and Dominguez in midfield with Gibbs White uh, in behind a one year. Do drop your comments in on that uh, and I'll have a flick through them as we're talking. So, just picking out a couple of names there. Um, Going back to front, Niakate coming in for McKenna. Uh, we, we kind of had Niakate in our predicted teams for quite a while, and it feel, it does feel like he'll come back in in the end. But is, is McKenna going to be unlucky and miss out? Do you think? Yeah, McKenna played well. I mean, everybody played well against Chelsea, right? But I, I just think he offers us that the pace, and that's something that uh, we perhaps do lack a little bit when McKenna is um, third wheeling to to Warren and Bolly. So I think he'll he'll come in there. Uh, I'm assuming here that Felipe isn't quite being considered just at this point. He's he's um, considerably lacking in uh, match practice. He will get into my best eleven eventually, so he's he's just not quite for now. But yeah, there's been a lot of uh, focus on Niakati's injuries, hasn't there, over the last um, twelve months? I think when he's at his best and, and fit, he, he fits into this side, and I think this might be the game that we see him introduced. Let's say um, Felipe is deemed fit and he's had two great weeks of training. Uh, would he come back in? And if so, for who? Yeah, probably for, for Willie Bolly. I mean, Willie, Willie Bolly has been a bit of a revelation in winning headers and tackles and being resilient when we've had a, our, our backs against the wall. But he's uh, not necessarily the most complete defender. I don't think his ground game is as good as any of the boys that we've mentioned, but he would be our strongest player in, in the air by by some margin. So still a useful squad player for me and no hesitancy in in starting him in a, in a Premier League game. I just think we all agree that Felipe is our most poised defender 
and perhaps the calmest under pressure. Um, you've got Tavares in. Uh, I think Aina's been really good, to be fair, so far. Tavares did fine coming off the bench um, at, at Stamford Bridge. Is that an assumption that you just think if we're playing wing-backs, he is the first choice then for that role? Yeah, I think so. I think the most marginal calls are probably the, the wing-backs. Uh, Montiel will not have come to this club thinking he's going to be an understudy, but Aurier's body of work um, deserves a bit of longevity, a bit of loyalty. I think you can make a case on either side, uh, Tavares versus Aina, Aurier versus Montiel. And Nico Williams hasn't even been mentioned in that conversation. So I don't think there's an obvious number one, number two on either side. I think both of those places uh, are up for grabs. The same could be said of the, the keeper. I don't think there's an obvious one or two. I think there'll be significant competition um, between those two. So you're starting to see the, the depth now. You're starting to see several positions where, not that injuries don't matter, but there's there's no massive drop-off between player A and player B playing in, in certain positions. So wouldn't be disappointed or surprised if we saw Montiel or Aina, but it's Tavares and Aurier that I've plumped for on Monday. And then looking at the midfield, I think I saw Greg Orham in the comments point out Mangala had a good international break with Belgium, played 90 minutes, got an assist. Uh, he misses out at the expense, I guess, of probably Dominguez from this lineup. And Danilo, we should say, we're assuming he's out with a hamstring problem. Um, is Mangala unfortunate or not? Yeah, Mangala's very unfortunate. And But again, wouldn't be surprised if he if he started. He did look good for Belgium and he's been good for Forest this season. I just think Sangari is the player that we've targeted beyond anybody else. He's a player that this club has now spent more money on than anybody else. And clearly, he has to come into this side. I don't think Ryan Yates is our best player, but you can make an argument and say he's our most important player. There's a big difference in results in recent months when he plays and doesn't play. He brings an energy, a passion, uh, an organisation, and also an ability for others to, to take risks and move forward, knowing that he is well-positioned and also has the organisation and powers of recovery um, to get us out of bother if we find ourselves... Um, turned over in, a, in an awkward position. So Yates, for me, still maintains his place. Sangare comes in as our record signing. And Dominguez hasn't been away. He's had two weeks at the training ground with Forrest and is perhaps um, the most prepared of the new signings to, to come into the side. Uh, Mangala would be unfortunate. He'd be under even more pressure if Danilo hadn't have pulled his hamstring and he, he could yet start this fixture on, on Monday. But I just think the, the blend of those um, three at the expense of width uh, makes us a, a, a far stronger team, able to establish a platform and perhaps able to become more of a possession side, more poised, more able to change the point of attack rather than getting from, from back to front in as, as quick a time as possible. Yeah, I think um, I'll take the thing off the screen for a minute and we'll come back to it. I think Mangala is a really interesting case because you look at midfielders, and we've said this before, you either need to score a goal, stop a goal or create a goal. And Mangala is a real good all-rounder, but he doesn't excel in any of the three. But I think he's a really good player. I wonder if, if he can get in this team and we have more of the ball, he could be a really massive player, couldn't he? But similarly... He's under the most intense pressure for his place now out of the existing midfielders, I'd say. 
Yeah, you're right. I think you've probably nailed it there. He's, he's one of those who doesn't have too many holes in his game, but but Norris are that like 10 out of 10 strength. He's 7, 8 out of 10 at most things. And more importantly, he's very tidy on the ball, very calm in possession, able to have it in tight spaces, will play a wall pass if he's, if he's closely marked. I think he can do a, a bit of everything. Um, I, I just think in time, Sangari and Dominguez will prove to be ahead of him in the in, in the in the depth order, and Danilo similarly is is snapping away, isn't he? Because he does create goals, stop goals, and, and and score goals. So yeah, interesting to see where where Mangala fits into it. I I could be way wider the mark as several people are are pointing out in the comments. I think it would be a you know a fool's errand really to to put any kind of of wager on any of us kind of uninformed um, amateur armchair pundits having a crack at a starting 11. But yeah, that's that's mine. Mm, it's interesting to see uh, a few people say, you know, Warrell and Yates. Uh, uh, Steve says rose-coloured glasses, they should be on the bench, a couple of people generally saying. I still don't see it that way, especially with Yates. I, I, you look at our results with him out of the team last year, and I still think he's got a big role to play, maybe in time this season. We'll see Sangari and Dominguez cement themselves, and Danilo's exceptional. So maybe Yates does move out in time. So, but initially in this short term, I still think he's a regular starter, and I think he's going to be at the club for a long time. And the same with Joe. I mean, Nia Kate and Felipe are better defenders, and in time, Murillo uh, and Omabamiele. Oma I should have rehearsed Easy that. Easy for you to say. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, uh, he sounds like a massive prospect. And I think it, as a ball playing defender this time next year, I think he'll be big for us. But at the moment, he couldn't get in Norwich's team in the championship. Murillo hasn't played a lot of football at all. And I don't think we should expect expecting a 21 year old to come into the Premier League straight away. So, and I would still pick Joe over Willie Botley for the reasons we discussed around ball distribution. We need someone who can pop the ball into midfield. So we can break lines quickly. And that's probably Bolly's weakness. And none of our centre-halves are particularly amazing at that, including Worrell. But that's why, for me, at the moment, they're still big cogs in this team. And even if they're not 10 out of 10 players every week, because if they were, they wouldn't be playing for us still, would they? Well, it's one part of the squad where they're not all going to be happy. And they're not going to get anything out of playing for a Premier League B team. So you could probably still uh, make an argument once the once the dust settles for some of them getting some some minutes elsewhere or going out on loan in in January because you're not going to carry three centre halves uh, on your on your bench in the in the Premier League. I think you're right that Omabama Daly and Murillo are not necessarily going to break into the side this year. They've been identified as players that are going to grow, develop become extremely valuable to this side in a year, two years' time. I wouldn't bet against Felipe and Bolly leaving the club next summer. Mm. And at that point, depth is required. You could perhaps put McKenna into that same bracket. But Worrell is going to be around until at least the end of 26. Um, Neocarte has time on his side. Um, two exciting young prospects there that you've mentioned. So... Brilliant succession planning, really logical for me. Um, some of these signs will fail, of course. Like it's been a really active window. I don't think there's ever been a window where you've signed so many and they've they've all gone on to have settled careers at the at the club. So look, let's let's believe in what's happened. Let's take some time, assess these players as and when they they get into the side. But know that now more than ever, 
centre-half depth is not something that we have to worry about. No, no, I agree. But certainly till January, I don't think there's any need to rush players in, especially when we're actually defending pretty well this season. Our, our, you know, our defensive numbers are very good. So there's no great rush for me. And another thing that Steve Cook said that I thought was interesting this week was talking about the value of Yates, Worrell and Brennan and what they bring to the dressing room and bring to the team. And there was, uh, he said, you know, fans need to be a little bit careful what they wish for when it comes to drumming them out. Uh, so that did strike me. I know we get people saying we're too protective of them, but it's it's for a reason for the greater good. That, that's why I would still have them very much around the team. Uh, I've got 20 minutes till I have to relaunch the Cronus. We better get cracking attempts because I don't, if it does relaunch, we, we might just disappear. Well, so, tell us your team. Let's have an argument. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is sort of uh, just an alternative team more than my team. So, as you said, you'd like to see a back four. I'd like to see a back four. So, I'll read this out. Uh, Turner retains his place in goal. Back four, Aurier, Worrell, Niakate and Ola Aina. Uh, three in midfield, Yates, Sangare and Dominguez. Dominguez didn't go, didn't go away uh, with his international team. So, he's had uh, two good weeks training. So, I could see him coming in. Uh, Elanga, assuming he's fit. I know he pulled out of the Sweden squad. Uh, but if he's not, I just put Hudson Adoy in there. He's had two weeks training as well. Uh, Gibbs White uh, in behind a one-year. I know that front three looks a bit wonky, but Elanga sort of playing that Brennan role from the right or from the left, um, but kind of running centrally when we're on the counter-attack. So it is a 4-3-3 for me. Um, well, you, you throw some comments and questions at me if you want. Well, the reason I like 4-3-3 is it can become 4-5-1 without the ball. It's really, really adaptable. Um, the cover is there with the, the blend in, in central midfield there, which I think is something that we all like. But this is a way of getting a, an exciting player like Alanga or Hudson-Odoi on the pitch in place of a, a third centre-half, which we don't necessarily need if we can have that screening player in central midfield protecting the defence. So I would love us to get to this kind of um, uh, shape because of the balance of the, the squad now. And I suppose that the, the question I'd, I'd, I'd chuck at you is, can we provide as much as we have been for a one-year without Johnson on the page? Can Langer and um, Callum Hudson-Odoi um, fill that void? And if the answer is yes, and we can be as defensively solid with the back four, but more creative with the, the personnel we've got on the pitch here, is this the, the, the moment in time where Forrest ceased to become a back foot uh, counter-attacking side and can play a bit more possession-based football against weaker teams at home. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a few keys to it, aren't there? I mean, the Sangare role is essential to give us the base to control the midfield. And then there's a lot of pressure on Ilanga or uh, Hudson-Odoi or even Origi to, stay, to step into the attack and get goals and make an impact. Because we can't rely on Tyro Awonyi to get all our goals, especially now Brennan's gone. And Ryan Yates as well. I think he can get more goals. And Gibbs White. Gibbs White's an interesting one. I've seen a few people saying he should be left out. He's not played well this season. I've not really seen that personally. I thought he was good at Chelsea in terms of doing the nasty work. And we haven't had games that particularly suit his skill set uh, going away to these tough places. What, what have you made of him so far? Look, it has to play for me because there, there are luxury players are going to drift out and, and, and drift into the, the kind of rhythm and the uh, and focus in, in a particular game. But where do we want to get to? We want to get to a place where he's on the ball 15, 20 times a game, running at players, 
playing those balls that only he can, seeing things that only he can, I think he's an exceptional talent. And while he's had the odd off day, they've been few and far between. And generally when he's had a run in the side, when he's found a way to link up with particular players, he's, he's really shone. I think the strongest link up he had was with Brennan Johnson. So he needs to uh, retune and become more uh, adept at the, the, the type of run that um, Alanga and Gibbs and, and Hudson Adoy make. I think he's got he's got Taiwo um, style and, and, and preference um, zoned in. But yeah, Morgan Gibbs White is in both our teams for a reason, and that's because he can unlock Premier League defenses. Would be a far weaker team without him. Yeah, I think he's essential. I mean, the, you look at the the other midfield options. There's quite a lot of athletes in there, but there's no great creativity. I know. Dominguez and um, Andre Santos, who's not in this team, but I'm sure he's going to have a big role to play this season. They can play a more advanced role. Danilo, obviously, uh, like we said, we think he's missing out with injury. They're good athletes, but there's no great, incredible passes that I've seen. I've seen a highlight reel of Dominguez. And he looks like he's decent on the ball, but I need to see him in person to uh, to really judge that. There's a few people saying in the comments, you know, uh, we, without MGW, we, uh, we lack creativity. And I think that's fair, certainly. Um Another player perhaps to talk about quickly. Um, you mentioned the right-back situation. We've got so many right-backs. I thought Aurier would go. I'm surprised, a bit surprised he's here. It makes you wonder if Montiel was this, um, this summer's Lingard signing. What's the long-term thing there? Is it just a full-on battle for the shirt now? Well, it has to be, doesn't it? I, I think I'm right in saying this is the last year of Serge Aurier's contract. So, stands, yeah. yeah, so we'll, we'll find out soon enough if those discussions open up, because if, if he is the plan, you wouldn't want him going into um, the, the January window with the teams able to approach him. For all the warnings we had from Spurs, I think he's been an excellent acquisition for Forrest. We probably still saw him as a backup when he arrived, but he, he's proven himself. He's proven himself at right back. He's proven himself at right wing back. And when needs must, he's tucked in and played um, right side centre half. Um, relatively short for a defender, but the, the leap is incredible. I haven't seen him bullied in the air at all. And I'm not yet ready to put Montiel ahead of him, despite him being an informed World Cup winner. That's that's how high I rate Sergio Ray, having watched him for a, a full season now. I think he's going to scrap on and try and make that shirt his own. And I think the one that's probably out on the river a little bit is, is, is Nico Williams, who for me is... Would be the third choice um, right back in a in a back in a back four, and probably the biggest victim of us um, be, uh, going to a back four because he was signing that profile as as a wing back, wasn't he? As the uh, an alternative to to, to to Jed Spence. So yeah, flat back four wouldn't be good news for Nico Williams, but Serge Aurier would would come into his own and can go toe to toe with Montiel. And just lastly, the point that so many people are making in the comments quite rightly is. The bench now is going to have uh, seven or nine. I can't remember how many it is. But big match-changing options to change formation within a match and to add genuine quality, which we haven't always seen, have we, since we came up? Best bench Forest have had ever. And if you look, even if you look back to previous Premier League campaigns, the best 11 was on the pitch. We weren't bringing players on that would necessarily... Um, change of gear, particularly not strikers and, and midfielders. So, yeah, for me, this whatever bench gets named on uh, on Monday night, and if Cooper is loyal to those that played against Chelsea in the main, it'll be stacked even higher. This is the best bench Forest will ever name or have ever named to this point. Mm. 
and just as a general point, we'll probably expand on this on Tuesday when we talk, we, we review the match after. But how long do you think it's going to be before we see, you know, the coup, the team Steve Cooper wants us to see? Because I don't think it's going to be until I don't know, maybe even past January. It was funny. I was listening to um, Ben Foster talking about how United had changed goalie for Onana for De Gea. And he said it'll take them two transfer windows, the defence and the goalkeeper, to learn how to play together. And we're throwing in, you know, well, 30 signings last season, 11 this season, seven on deadline day. It's the Forest way, but how long do you think it will take before we see the team we want to be? Well, from what I've seen of Onana so far, it'll take Man U far more than two transfer windows before they they get themselves back to where they think they, sh- they should be. I mean, look, last season, it was well after Christmas, wasn't it? It was trial and error until that point, until we found um, a, a side and a formula that that worked um, for us. He's got this massive debate in his head about back four versus versus back five. He's got to try several different combinations in, in central midfield. So I think you're probably right. Whatever side we see on Monday, um, the wheel will be spun as, as more, more of the new signings improve their capabilities in training as Felipe comes back into into fitness. So, yeah, I'll agree with you. It could be two, three months or more before we find our very, very best team. But I think in any event, we're better established now and better able to accumulate points as we go through, through that experiment. Because there were times last year when we were just getting rolled while, you know, making comments and suggestions from afar about who could come in uh, and, and improve the team. I, I just think there's more experience and capability there now. And it would be nice to consolidate that on Monday night and to find ourselves with a, a nice cushion throughout the season rather than being anywhere near that relegation scrap. Um, last question, probably. Um, when we were on uh, with Fletch, uh, Gary, Mike and Greg, I gave you a chance to revisit their pre-season predictions. I don't think you're with us on Tuesday, so I'll give you your chance now. Like uh, the rest of us, I think you said 15th or 16th. What's the realistic prediction for you now? Yeah, we're well beyond that now. So I, I think for me, we've probably passed the Fulham and Bournemouths off the back of that transfer window. And we're probably, some will be thinking we're, we're kind of in that mix with the West Ham's Crystal Palaces who were, were down to occupy 10th, 11th, 12th. So I will revise my prediction. I think off the back of that transfer window, we are a good four places above where I thought we would be. So in true Greg Mitchell fashion, I'm going to inject a dose of optimism and say this team has to be looking in that 11th, 12th uh, area off the back of signing a destroyer like Sangare. Having seen Chris Wood come you know, back into some kind of form as a replacement from the bench, having got Divock Origi in um, and having three or four other players that are going to dramatically improve that starting 11 so yeah I think that transfer window has gained us somewhere in the region of 12 to 15 points and that should be enough to get us to 11th or 12th position yeah I was thinking 10th to 13th I think something like that is is very much attainable now I do still think there's teams that are significantly ahead of where we are you know obviously the the big clubs but still like Newcastle Aston Villa, Brighton have got better squads that are further along. I don't think we can get near them this season. And perhaps Brentford as well. I don't know how they're going to go with when Tony comes back and stuff like that. But but generally, I think, yeah, we're up there around West Ham and Palace and teams like that now. And we've hopefully outstripped certainly Everton and Wolves and 
teams are. We just don't know. You don't know how long it's going to take to bed in. And, you know, we were terribly unlucky last year with injuries and touch wood, that doesn't happen again. So, but generally, yeah, the, next, well the next three in our sights, those aren't they? Like Crystal Palace, Brentford, West Ham. I think Villa upwards. So if like if we're if we're considering a top ten of City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs, Man U, Chelsea, Brighton, Newcastle, Villa, um, we've we've got to consider ourselves a long way clear of the promoted teams. I think Wolverhampton, Fulham, Everton, Bournemouth. Yeah, we're we're in a dogfight now with that true mid table: Forest Palace, Brentford, West Ham. Let's get in that mix, cause some upsets. Back-to-back wins in the Premier League, as, as Fletcher said in the past, like just get you so far mm. and, yeah, on to the next game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, any other business for me, I will just plug the Steve Cook interview we had the other day because uh, it's had loads of good feedback. So if you haven't seen it, do give it a watch or a listen. Really good guest, really interesting insightful talking about... Um, playoffs and um, the shootout against Sheffield United and little things like they had a meeting uh, where they were told they would have given six or seven penalties away uh, in the championship defending corners compared to how you defend them in the Premier League and uh, you know the differences and the step up uh, was fascinating and, and stuff around you know Cooper and the squad and his own role of not being in the 25-man squad was um, yeah really good stuff so check that out uh, and like I say, do like and subscribe. I know I sound like an ag. Uh, yeah. Temps, anything else from you? I like that. What are you doing sitting here listening to me when Steve Cook's on YouTube? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, go and have a listen to that true true inside um, story from a player that made a, a key contribution um, at, a, at a key time. And I think he also said he was a, an occasional listener as well, right, Matt? So He did? Yeah, what, a, what a fella. Yeah, I was shocked when he said that. He said, yeah, I've seen quite a few. So, yeah, uh, the dream is, you know, the plan is hopefully to have him back on in the pundit's chair uh, once or twice this season. We'll see how that pans out. Uh, right, we shall be back with one more episode before the Burnley game. Touchwood recording uh, another interview to go out on Friday, probably. So uh, I never say who it is anymore because they always fall through if I do. But yeah, that'll be out on Friday and we'll be back on Tuesday um, post-match with uh, Greg, Emily and uh, perhaps Nigel Jemson. So we better, we better win if Greg and Emily are on. Because it's not they're not the panel for if we've lost a game and doom and gloom. So yeah, there we go. Uh, thanks very much for everyone who's watched along. Very much appreciated. Lots of comments, which always helps. Uh, so do join us again soon. Temps, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. See you soon. Yeah, see you soon, everyone. We shall be back uh, on Friday, like I said. So uh, yeah, have a good few days, and we'll see you later. <laughs>